You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast with Pastor Rick Francis. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. Well, good morning. Welcome to the Vineyard. My name's Rick. I'm pastor here. And we've got more pastors in the house. Uh, many of you know Dave Schunk. Uh, Dave and I have gone down to Costa Rica many times together. He's my Costa Rica traveling buddy. And uh, he's a pastor of the Vineyard in Bloomington, Indiana. I see we got our IU t-shirt on right there. And so... Uh, His beloved daughter, I had the honor of being in the service when she was ordained. So Susie and Josh are with us today. They're right back here. Would you stand up just real quick? There we go. There we go. Thank you. So now I tell Dave, he's my second favorite pastor in Bloomington. Susie's my first. Anyway, we have a lot of fun. We've been looking through the Gospel of Mark as we continue today. We'll pick up at verse 35 of Mark chapter 5. We see that there's just crowds and crowds and crowds and crowds and crowds at this point in Jesus' life. They've seen him do miracles. They've seen him bring healings and deliverances. They've seen him speak to the wind and the waves. They've seen his authority and power over nature. And so now everybody is kind of gathering around him. Everywhere he goes, when they hear that Jesus is around, they're coming. So we pick up at verse 35. While Jesus was speaking, some men from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, What is going on with my notes? Hmm. Doesn't match the screen. How did that happen? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's okay. It's only on live stream going across the whole United States. Okay, yeah. It's like, what happened here? Meanwhile, back in the Bible, (laughs) when all else fails, get the scripture out. This is my new Bible, so the pages are a little... Just take me a minute to get there. There we go. Okay, the fault's not in the PowerPoint, it's in the preacher, (laughs) operator error. We've already gone through the part where Jesus has has come through, left the demoniac, he's come through and he comes to the other side and now Jairus is there. And as we saw last week, uh, Jairus has got an emergency situation with his daughter. She's at the point of death. And so we got a 911 situation going on here. I don't know about you, but if, if I had Jesus and Debbie's my daughter and 
calls Jesus. I'm coming over here and I'm coming, come on Jesus, let's get over here and get here as quick as possible. And we saw that as they're going from point A to, to Jairus' house, the woman with the issue of blood comes up and touches the hem of his garment. And in the touching of the hem of his garment, she is instantly healed. Because her faith believed that if she could just touch his clothes, she would be made whole. And so she goes and she touches his clothes, instantly healed. Mind you, there's a, a crowd around Jesus and everybody's pressing in. And Jesus, when he feels the power has been released to him, he stops and he says, who touched me? To which the disciples are saying, are you kidding me? You're asking with all these people around who touched you, but he knows. And so the lady, when she realizes she can no longer be unnoticed, she comes around and presents herself and tells Jesus everything. In the telling of everything, he says, daughter, I don't know about you, but Jesus calls me, I mean, I'd take daughter. You wouldn't have to say son, I'd take daughter. You know, a term of endearment. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Be free from your suffering. And it's while Jesus is speaking those words that these men come up. <laughs> while Jesus was still speaking, okay, we're back on track now. <clears throat> Some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went into where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them, to give her something to eat. Let's pray. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit's saying to the church. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. amen. So while Jesus was still speaking, no sooner than he, he made the pronouncement, daughter, <laughs> your faith has made you well. <laughs> Go in peace and be free from your suffering. Soon as he says that, I don't know about you, but if, if, I, if I'm taking Jesus and I'm bringing him from where he is over to my house and I get to the place and we have this interruption, I'm probably feeling kind of sick because I know my daughter is gonna die any minute. And so there's a, a real sense of urgency. But when you see this miraculous healing take place, what happens? in my imagination, to Jairus' faith. It's like, wow, 
I got the right guy. This is the right guy that I want to bring to my daughter. This is the right one. And so we're going to bring Jesus home. <laughs> and then you get the news. I mean, your faith, you believe Jesus can make a difference in your daughter's life, in her, in her health. And, and then you see a woman who's, who's had a chronic condition for 12 years instantly be healed. And you're, you're ready to go. And what happens? Is, is this not the way the enemy does things? And immediately you get the report. Your daughter died. Don't bother the teacher, not the healer, not the Messiah. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Can you imagine what happened to Jairus' faith? If we, if we had some kind of measuring instrument, I would imagine it crashed at that point. And, and the sorrow and the grief is right there at the edge ready to take full control of his emotions, his heart, his mind, his understanding, his awareness of who he is and what's going on. And so here he is, and Jesus ignoring what they said. Okay, if you're looking for a good text that has justification for ignoring someone, you found it. But let's not ignore the person that's given us good input. Let's ignore the person who's giving us input that's the opposite of what the Lord is giving us. There's a place for us to ignore sometimes what the professional medical world says. They give a pronouncement, they make a diagnosis, they see the condition, and they don't understand the authority that we give them when they say, terminal or when they say, there's no hope. And they say, it's time to pull the plug. Whatever, whatever kind of medical thing that's happening. It's like, there's a time to ignore, there's a time to pay attention. Holy Spirit's the only one that can help us navigate that. And here's Jairus. Jesus says, forget what they said. Do not fear. Don't be afraid. What casts out fear? Perfect love. Perfect love. Love casts out fear. It's like, wow, okay. Do not fear. Believe. Instead of being afraid, believe. In that situation, that, that is going to be a supernatural Holy Spirit grace-filled moment for you to stay out of fear and move in the direction of belief. But what's, what's the one factor that makes the difference? Jesus. Jesus is coming to your house. Jesus is with you. And so the procession continues. When they come to the home, Oh, and at this point, he, he, he restricts who's, who's coming, who's following in the procession. And of all of his disciples, he only lets Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, come. No one else followed Jesus. 
So now he's, he's restricted the crowd that was there for the issue of blood healing. He's now just taking the three disciples and Jairus and the people that came from his house. And when he gets to Jairus' house, look what happens. Jesus saw a commotion. Hmm. I think that's an event of pure chaotic mourning and grieving. They say back in, back in the day, it wasn't uncommon for them to hire mourners to come when someone died. And the Jewish folks would get together and they would wail and mourn and all of this. So when Jesus sees it, he knows what he's going to do. They don't. It's almost a Lazarus situation all over again. And everybody's grieving and, and making such a commotion. They're wailing loudly. And he comes in, he says to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. Do they believe that the child is asleep? No. They've been grieving. I don't know how far the walk is from where Jesus landed at the lake to Jairus' house. Whether it was a five minute walk or a 30 minute walk or a two hour walk, but somewhere in that time, the girl went from alive to dead. And now they finished the trip and she's getting deader by the minute. And they're already wailing and moaning and, and lamenting. And, uh, and when Jesus said this, they laughed at him. The unflinchable love of Jesus is amazing. They laugh, sometimes they laugh at me. I just say, well, I'll take my ball and I'll go home then if you're gonna make fun of me. No, 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 that's not Jesus. Jesus goes on, he puts them all out. You can laugh at him, but you can't stay. <laughs> you don't get to see it. So he pushes them all out, why? Jesus is already getting in enough trouble for healing and delivering people. He delivers legion and they asked him to leave the area. He doesn't even get to be on the shore longer than just ministering to the one demonized man and losing 2,000 pigs. That's all the time he, he spent there. Already the opposition is coming against him. And mind you, that resurrections are something that the religious leaders really get worked up over. Because if you remember, after Lazarus is raised, they start intentionally pursuing killing Jesus. So there's something about taking a dead person and making them alive that makes the religious people want to take an alive person and kill him. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? So he took the child's father and mother and the disciples, Peter, James, and John, and he went where the child was. In contrast to the woman with the issue of blood that Jesus never touched, Jesus never said a thing to, Jesus never even knew what happened. Here he 
takes her by the hand and he speaks and he says, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. It's an affectionate term. It's like, sweetie, get up. Little sweetheart, rise. Immediately, the girl stood up. Immediately, the issue of blood was completely healed. Immediately, the storm stopped. <laughs> Immediately, the demons left. And now, immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. They were just blown away. So now Jesus gives strict orders not to let anyone know about this. He did it in chapter one with the leper. The leper is, is to go to the priest and show himself to the priest so that he could be reintroduced, reintegrated back into society. But he's not supposed to tell anybody about what happened. And we find that Jesus is constantly, he's telling the demonic to be still. And they're saying, we know who you are, the Son of God, the, the Christ. Be quiet, don't tell anybody. Come out. And so we, we have this, some theologians call it the messianic secret. It's, it's the way in which they, they look at how what Jesus is speaking and there's something about his messiahship that he tries to keep a secret because he's got to work underneath the radar <laughs> because the more he works above the radar, the more the religious leaders want to kill him the more he becomes a threat. So Jesus isn't trying to figure out how to get more people to follow him. He's not healing people so that they will come and, and invest in his ministry. He is bringing the love of the Father and he's releasing the authority of the Father. He's bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. And there's no mixture of his motives. And that's why religion hates him. That's why they got to kill him. So he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. How do you think that worked? All the people that knew she died and now she's walking around playing. Hmm. Now, a 12-year-old back then isn't like a 12-year-old today. A 12-year-old back then is pretty close ready to be married. She's, she's moved into womanhood. It's not like a little 12-year-old now that's a sixth grader that's playing on the playground. They've got to realize something divine happened. A miracle took place. More than a healing, I call it a resurrection. Not that I'm disputing when Jesus says she's not dead, she's asleep. He said that Lazarus was asleep too. And, uh, and then they couldn't quite follow what he was doing. And he said, nope, he's dead. So, so let, let me make that clear. So then he tells, give her something to eat. The post-resurrection directions. Don't tell anybody and give her something to eat. 
being an English Bible major, uh, little details kind of catch my attention. Do you realize it's the woman with the issue of blood had it for how many years? Twelve. Twelve. How old's the little girl? Twelve. Twelve. Okay. Hmm. There's something about twelve in this chapter. There's something about the, the, the comparison and the contrast between healing that comes from touching Jesus and healing that comes from Jesus touching the person. So if you need healing, let your faith be breathed upon by the Holy Spirit and do whatever you need to do to get to the place that you can touch the hem of his garment. Or present yourself to Jesus and ask him to touch you. I love how it's instantly. Mark seems to always be kind of, he's, he's racing to the cross in his gospel, but it's immediately, instantly, it, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's happening like this in the gospel of Mark. It's just boom, 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 boom. Healings come. Deliverances come. Resurrection comes. All of these things happen just like that. He speaks post-healing blessing to the woman with the issue of blood. Daughter, your faith has healed you. It doesn't say, my faith has healed you, or I've healed you. Your faith has healed you because you put your faith in me. Hmm. Go in peace. Okay, that's a good, good direction. Be free from your suffering. Isn't that interesting? Instantly healed, but now there's a, a direct command to be free from her suffering. You know, I, I've known people who've had a measure of healing, but then it comes back. Or they had a complete sense of, of liberty and freedom, and whatever the ailment, and, and then it returned. And it's like, okay, Holy Spirit, what's going on here? Is there something that we need to realize that once healing has taken place and it's an instantaneous healing, we need to hear, be free from your suffering. I don't know how the enemy does it, but oftentimes we start longing, longing to go back to Egypt. We long to go back to the way things were. And sometimes that's because once we're healed, we've got to work. We've got, a, we've got responsibilities that our, our infirmity kept us from having to have those responsibilities before. Then I look at the roller coaster of, of Jairus' faith. From watching the woman healed, spike high, and then getting the message that the daughter is dead, don't bother Jesus anymore. And then Jesus speaking directly to him, believe, believe, don't be afraid, believe. Oh. And then going, putting everybody out and bringing an incredible healing. There's also a theme in chapter five of desperation. You'll see it all through the chapter. Yeah. 
The disciples are desperate because they think they're going to drown because of the, the furious squall that just came up. Jesus, is he worried? No, he's asleep. He's asleep in the boat. The woman, not supposed to be out in public, ritually, ceremonially unclean, not allowed to be in the community of, 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 of the faith. She's desperate. She's already spent everything she had and she's getting worse. And in her desperation, she breaks the law and she touches Jesus' garments. And here's a father who's desperate because his daughter's about to die. And so we see desperation, desperation, desperation. You know, as I was praying about this morning, I was just saying, Lord, there's many kind of situations that we're desperate about. We're desperate because we've come to the end of our ability to figure out how to make it work, how to either be healed, how to be free, how to get rid of an addiction, how to, how to make a relationship right, how to function in an in a employment environment that is, that is hostile. You know, and, and so we get desperate. And the Lord says, I can work with desperate. Desperate doesn't in any way uh, limit him. Sometimes desperation, our desperation, causes us to have a laser-like focus on Jesus, which when we do that, we start to see, and we oftentimes discover how to posture ourselves in his presence to see the miracle, the deliverance, the healing, the freedom that we need. So this morning, let's posture ourselves before the one who has authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. Let's posture ourselves before Jesus in such a way that he can do what he wants to do. I believe he wants to do it more than we want to have it done. It's like, Lord, we want to present ourselves to you today. So Father, I just ask right now, you know where everyone in this room and over the internet, where they are, what's the desperate point in their life? Is it their love for another one who's going through difficulty, that needs a healing, that needs a restoration, that needs a marriage restored? Father, you know. You know the ones here in the room. You know everything about where their hearts are, what's happening in their spirit and their bodies. I pray, Father, that we would get divine direction as we focus on you, Jesus, and we say, show us how to position ourselves so that we can receive that which you want to give. Hmm. I go back to the word that was spoken for the beginning and for all of 2022, that you are about to do something incredible You are waiting 
to do something incredible. Mm. And we want to receive it. Something incredible is about to be received. And so we position ourselves before you and we say, Lord, let everything that's in your heart for us come forth. We receive it with thanksgiving. Release the faith, the grace to believe amid all the reports, amid all the, um, the things that others are saying. We say you are the sovereign, the loving, the good, the holy. We put ourselves before you and say, do for us what you've longed to do. We receive it with thanksgiving. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.